This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 635 with Deanne Graham. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 635. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Deanne Graham is the award-winning author of Head On, Stories of Alopecia, and an alopecia coach, consultant, educator, and advocate. She was first diagnosed with alopecia atriata, an autoimmune hair loss condition, when she was seven years old. She published Head On, Stories of Alopecia, to share stories and photos of people around the world who are living with alopecia, in order to provide a broad perspective on the journey of hair loss. Educating communities in order to empower others who have been diagnosed, especially in the beauty and medical industries, is an important part of Deanne's outreach. She's also the course creator of the Alopecia Roadmap and the host of the Alopecia Life podcast, where she continues to educate and share stories to help others realize they are not alone. I met Deanne at an event for podcasters a few months ago, and I knew I wanted to have her on the show right away. I just loved her energy. I was really drawn to just who she was as a person, how she navigates the world, how she shows up. And so I kind of stalked her throughout the event. And I asked her to be on the podcast. And I'm so grateful that she said yes. And I have to say what I was really drawn to was the opportunity to share a story that is a story I'm not familiar with. I'm not familiar with alopecia. But I also know that Deanne and so many people with alopecia are navigating the world in ways that 
maybe that I can't understand and maybe you can't understand, or maybe you can't understand and you don't have a place to go to learn from someone else who's living a shared experience with, uh, similar to yours. So whether this is a story or situation or condition that you can relate to personally or someone else in your life can relate to, or maybe you can't relate to this, maybe this is unfamiliar to you, I think that this is going to be a conversation where you will have some great takeaways no matter what. So listen in to hear Deanne share alopecia 101, what alopecia is and how it can manifest differently in people. She also talks about the difference between alopecia and alopecia atriata. She shares what her life was like as a seven-year-old who experienced total hair loss. She talks about what it was like to not know anyone with alopecia for 30 years of her life and then to suddenly step into making 500 new friends with alopecia. She walks us through her decision to stop wearing wigs when her daughter was in the second grade and how she handled kids at her daughter's school talking about her. She shares where people experiencing hair loss can turn for support. And then I think this piece is so important. She talks about what to say and what not to say to someone who is bald or balding. This is a really illuminating conversation. I'm so grateful for Deanne, all the ways that she's showing up in the world, all the ways she's shamelessly sharing herself and sharing her story, because I know that this is going to touch so many of you today. So with all that said, please join me in welcoming Deanne Graham to the Shameless Mom Academy. Deanne, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here today. It is awesome to be here, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that you said yes, because we met at a live event and had just kind of a brief interaction before I started pretty much harassing you to to come on the show. So thanks for saying yes. And I'm really excited to dig into this conversation. Yeah, me too. Thanks. So tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. Ah, that is a lot. I, so let's talk about the dynamics. Yeah. (laughs) Dynamics of my personal and professional life. So I would say they're incredibly intertwined. What I do is I talk to people about autoimmune hair loss. That is what I do. And it's something that I never talked about when I was a child and into adulthood, even into my thirties and, you know, doing a complete switch on not talking about it to talking about it as much as possible in a way that isn't annoying is kind of <laughs> kind of a big thing for me. And yeah, like I said, that intertwining is what I do. And as far as my personal life, I've been married for almost 30 years and I have two That's kids. That's like a massive lo- milestone. It is. It is. We're still like a couple of years off, but you know, it's, so I'm not, you just round, round up. up. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. And I have two kids and yeah, I live kind of near you. That's right. You do live kind of near me. I keep forgetting that part. How old are your kids? 21 and our son's going to be 18 in April. Okay. Yeah. I would not have guessed any, I would have thought like married for like 13 years with like a (laughs) five and a seven year old. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, The the benefits of actually not like you could be married for 30 years with a 21 year old (laughs) and 18 year old. Well, thank you. I always appreciate that for sure. And I guess I didn't really talk about what I'm excited about right now. Yeah. 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 So we, it's always we, when we're in a family, right. But what I'm doing right now is designing a course for families who are living with alopecia and it's mostly aimed at parents. And that's where my focus has been for I would say almost two years, but we had a 
big kind of event in our life and then we ended up moving. And so, you know, life gets in the way or kind of throws a speed bump out there and it just takes time to kind of pick it back up, but I'm really close to launching. And so I'm really excited about that right now. Oh, that's super exciting. I know how much work goes into that. So I know mm-hmm. that excitement Yeah, <laughs> and you're finally ready to put your stuff out into the world. Mm-hmm. So you have a book called head on stories of alopecia, and I'm hoping we can like start at the beginning here with some fundamentals or some foundation. And if you could talk a little bit about like alopecia 101 and tell us what alopecia is, what causes it, how it manifests in people, because chances are we know people impacted by alopecia, or we know people whose family members are, who are impacted and we don't maybe either know it, or we don't know how to be thoughtful and sensitive around it. So can you educate us? You bet. (laughs) So that is a really common thing, right? People don't understand when they see someone who is completely bald, they just assume they have cancer and that's Mm -hmm. kind of a, a common misconception. And, but it's not always that. So alopecia 101, if we just kind of jump right in with that, we talk about what is alopecia and that word means hair loss. But if you pair it with alopecia areata, which is what I have and around 2% of the population has, which is around 152 million people around the world. Wow. That's a lot. It is. It is. And it's so, it's not as uncommon as we think, right? We see a bald woman or man or a child walking. We're like, Oh, you know, they have cancer. We need to feel this way about this experience. And really that's not the reality of it. Sometimes there's small patches, which alopecia areata is the blanket term for all forms of autoimmune hair loss. So if you have complete loss versus a patch or head to toe hair loss, they're all considered alopecia areata. So, but normally how it starts and not always, of course, you'll see coin size spots. And depending on the country you live in, it'll, they'll say a quarter, a dime, a loony, a franc, you know, they'll just say all sorts of things depending on the country that you live in. And that is how it shows up. And that's usually a distinctive way to say, okay, yeah, you probably have alopecia areata. And sometimes it grows completely back. And sometimes it morphs into alopecia totalis, which is complete scalp loss. And you might keep your eyebrows, your eyelashes, nose hair, but your scalp is completely bare of hair. Mm. And then alopecia totalis or universalis, excuse me, is what I have. And that's head to toe hair loss. Okay. Yeah. And can you tell us what causes it? Yeah, you bet. So, well, okay. No, I can't, but yes, I can. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's thought to be a genetic component. There's a genetic component to this. So you have a predisposition for it in your genetics and, you know, they're tracking it to certain DNA strands and things like that. But all we know is there's a genetic component and there's, there's an environmental component, right? And so it could be, you usually have that combined with a trigger and the trigger can be really anything. So people may say, oh, I had a virus and then I started getting bald spots. Oh, I was on antibiotics. Oh, I had dental work. And I've even heard of a woman who was waiting in line. I don't know if I told you this story at conference. I I I tend to talk about this one because it's so visual. Mm -hmm. And there's a woman who was at a crosswalk in her car waiting for a pedestrian to cross in front of her. And she was rear-ended by another car and went into the crosswalk with her vehicle. And she thought she had killed someone. And yeah, she, it was like 
supremely traumatizing to her. Right. And so she said to me, she said, I felt my gut drop Mm. and truthfully within a week, she was completely bald. And so, oh my gosh. Yeah. So there are things like that, that happened too. And so anything that people say, I think this caused it, I go, you know, you're probably caused, we don't say cause we say trigger because that's, you know, more appropriate in the world today to say trigger anything that they say triggered it. I say, you know, you're probably right. Mm -hmm. And they spend a lot of time in doctor's office hearing, no, that couldn't have done that. No, it's not possible. And so for someone to tell them that, yeah, that's absolutely a a possibility. It's kind of refreshing. Oh my gosh. It must be really validating Mm because when you have a traumatic experience for someone to invalidate your traumatic experience, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's like a whole new traumatic experience. (laughs) Exactly. So I actually was years ago was in a business mastermind group with someone who had alopecia and at the time we were in the group together, he was completely bald, but still had eyebrows and he was in the health industry. And so he talked pretty openly about his alopecia because he talked about kind of components of his health related to it as it related to some of his other work in the health industry. And one of the things he talked about was that he had had this, a triggering event and it had very, I mean, like he had a triggering event and then lost his hair really quickly. And it was like out of nowhere. And he was this extremely healthy person. And mm-hmm. so we kind of talked about like, this can just happen. And very similar to what you said, like this DNA component or genetic component plus a triggering event. Well, then we were not in the group together for a while and we were still friends on Facebook. And he, I hadn't seen him probably in like two years, just in terms of our Facebook posts for whatever algorithmic reasons. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he popped up in some pictures And I was like, oh my gosh, he looks so different. And I couldn't figure it out. And he had lost his eyebrows. Mm -hmm. And so based on what you're saying, I'm curious if potentially he had another would, is it, can it happen that someone has like one triggering event that takes in in which like one phase happens and then potentially another phase might happen later. I don't know if phase is the right word. True. Yeah, for sure. And he could have Hmm. complete regrowth like tomorrow it could Hmm. start. And there's sometimes there's no rhyme or reason, right? I mean, I was quite young when I developed it. I was seven. And then when I was 14, my hair actually spontaneously grew back and no reason. And, and then, you know, you think about 14 and you think about hormones and you think about things like that. And yeah, so there are so it's such a confusing condition that, it's hard to put your finger on, right? You go, okay, well, this costs this. Well, maybe if I do this. And so you have a lot of chasing going on. You go, well, if I eliminate gluten and dairy, which is actually mm. works for a lot of people to tell you the truth, but oh, I'm not saying, I mean, everybody can do the same thing and maybe there'll be a small percentage that it works for. Yeah. And then does it work for a long length of time? That's a whole other thing. Right. And right. so, yeah. So he, yeah, he developed alopecia universalis just kind of as a progression of the Mm -hmm. disease. And there's all sorts of frames of thought about that. Well, if you go to alopecia universalis, you'll never grow your hair back. And that's not true. I've seen it happen. So I've seen so many different scenarios. Can you talk about going through this at age seven? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's like a major identity shift at a Mm -hmm. really young age. Yeah. And I will say I was already very different growing up. I also was diagnosed with type one diabetes at the age of two. So I was already very, very different. You know, I had to eat snacks when I was, when other kids were playing at recess, had to really pay attention to the way that I felt because back then there weren't anything like blood tests either. You didn't take a blood test to check your blood sugar. You just were like, well, I, I, I feel something. So something's happening. And so back then, 
I was already kind of on high alert for being different. And so when this happened, it was on top of it and it just kind of added to, yeah, we're talking about identity, but I don't know that I really had one outside Mm -hmm. of being different. So yeah, I've actually never said that before, but it's a realization for sure. Yeah. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee. And that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listener can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. Was it traumatizing to you or, and how quickly was your hair, did your hair loss happen? And then- Uh. How to like what I'm curious, seven-year-old children are very curious creatures. Mm -hmm. So I'm imagining like conversations at school and questions. And so 
I think back then it was in the seventies. I know I talk about the difference of today to then it was very different, right? Quiet. You didn't ask questions. I mean, right now, I don't know that that's any different as far as you might not ask questions. You might just say something really rude to get a response and to Mm -hmm. find out, right? I think that kids do that. If they aren't given the information, then they go, oh, well, I'm just going to find out in whatever way possible what's going on. And I don't know that that's changed much in, you know, 40 years, Mm -hmm. but on the other side of it, I think that most kids were fairly friendly. I'm not saying that it was easy for me because the one that stands out is, you know, overcomes all the other or just overtakes all the other positive ones. But of course, you know, I also wore a wig in school. And so that was either you're wearing a hat, you're being different and, or you're looking different or you're wearing a wig and people are like, oh, this is new. I'm going to try to pull this off and see what's underneath. And Mm -hmm. that was a pretty common fear every day of going to school. But I can't say that looking back, you know, kids are kids and they are guided by adults and that's the same today. Right. And so we have to educate, educate, and kids are so fantastic about learning and accepting so easily when we give them the power to do that and accept things. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. When we create the space for kids to learn, they're like such great little sponges. Oh yeah. You talk about wearing a wig and which is really interesting. I'm thinking about when I was, you know, like 10 to like, I don't know, 18 probably, but like doing things like sleepovers for the first time or sleepovers with a new friend for the first time or a new Mm -hmm. family. Like there's a lot of dynamics in there where there's just already naturally some nerves involved. Yes. And I think also I, think about like kids who wet the bed going for sleepovers for the first time, Mm -hmm. or like my son has a hard time sleeping through the night and often wants to come sleep in our room. Mm -hmm. And I know there's been times when I've sent him for sleepovers where I'm like, okay, like what's (laughs) your plan if you get scared at 3am because we did have a situation where he like woke up the other, the kid's dad, the poor dad. He's like, he woke me up like five times. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So there's just all these dynamics where we're we're going into these unfamiliar places and we don't Mm -hmm. know how people are going to show up and treat us or what's going to be like, if they kind of discover this thing that about us, that's either sets us apart, makes us different, or is it maybe a level or layer of vulnerability for us? Can you Mm -hmm. talk about that piece for you? You bet. I'd actually like to talk about the sleepover piece because I couldn't stay the night at people's houses for a long time because I was a diabetic and it was just so, there was so much uncertainty around how I would feel. And if I would basically be in a coma, you know, if I didn't eat. So, so there was that component, but so, yeah, I didn't go to, you know, sixth grade camp where everybody went away to that, but I did, I was really active in Girl Scouts and we did campouts and I had the most phenomenal group of girlfriends that just, I don't know, we were put into each other's lives just at a perfect time. And yeah, I think that having support of any kind, but from, you know, girls, your age is just such a big deal. So yeah, that vulnerability. And I know that when we went away to Girl Scout camp, once we had some girls saying some girls, I didn't even know show up and talking about my bald head. And I was like, wow, word really gets around. I'm not even from here. (laughs) How did that happen? So I think people just talk, they need to talk about things and the openness could have helped back then. And it just, it wasn't part of the way you were. So did you internalize that? It sounds like you sound very matter of fact, like it didn't seem particularly hurtful to you or that it caused pain or trauma. Did it? I would say, you know, I do sound matter of fact, and I do 
think that I was raised in a way that was like, well, this happened. Now you move on. Right. I mean, you don't spend a lot of time feeling sorry for yourself. And that's just the way that things were back then. Yeah. But I did feel sorry for myself. I did come home and, you know, throw shoes at the wall and act really upset and scream. And Mm -hmm. I was a very, I've actually wrote an article for a friend of mine for her blog about cussing. I mean, I was, oh, just a trucker mouth. And I kind of still am. But <laughs> I, I just love it. Went, and it was you a way it's like calm, quiet demeanor of like, I mean, we were at an event with multiple hundreds of people and you probably had the most calm demeanor of anyone there. <laughs> so I'm imagining you just like throwing shoes at all swearing is not what I picture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was, it was so internalizing. Yeah. And really I was able to express myself, but I also grew up in a religious family. Like my, my mother was like, you know, God's not going to give you anything you can't handle. And that really messed with me also <laughs> in a way that, and I know she will probably listen to this and she, I know that she knows this, that it was very, it made me internalize some stuff, right? Because you go, well, what does faith look like if I don't believe that I'm strong enough for this? And if I'm not strong enough for this, then what does that mean? Right. In the yeah. long run, am I not being true to, you know, the gifts that I've been given, et cetera. And so there's that piece of it too, for sure. But yeah, I think, I don't know that I, I would say I didn't, because I didn't talk about it because I didn't meet anybody who ever looked like me for really, it was almost 30 years from diagnosis to the time I actually saw someone who looked like me and understood that that was when the shift changed, right? I mean, that was when the shift happened. I knew I wanted to write a book about it. And I finally found this, you know, conference that had people that were going to be there who talked about it. And it was totally life-changing for me. Wow. And that was when you were 30? Yeah. I was probably around 34. Okay. Yeah. So I was going to ask, what was it like to have alopecia as part of your life since such a young age? And I was sensing that maybe it was just not a huge part of your life. Like you were doing all the things a little girl does and going to camp and just growing up. And like, it was because it was such a part of your life from such a young age, it almost seemed like it was just, you didn't give it a ton of time or attention. So, and correct me if I'm not stating this correctly, or if I'm misunderstanding, but then for you to have this sense of like, but I want this to become more of a focal point in my life, or I want to be connected to this community. And I want to tell stories around this. Like it sounds, that sounds like a transition. Can you talk about that? And if I have that wrong, definitely correct me. No, you do have it right. I think that not talking about it to talking about it and then realizing I could do something to change the life of even one person, right? If they were able to look at a book and see themselves and read a story where they could go, oh, I'm not the only one, right? Um, Then that would, to me, that just makes a world of difference. And I thought if I could change one life, then I would do that. And it ended up becoming something that was kind of nutty because I just started asking people, I said, hey, would you like to contribute a story? And then just like we were talking about before, you know, you interview somebody, you talk to somebody, then they go, oh, what about this person? What about that person? And, you know, I had about... 500 submissions and everyone who submitted a story, I needed to kind of figure out how to get a photo of them, a high resolution photo that was also, you know, I I do things on a budget and I didn't, I couldn't go broke doing this. And, And so I couldn't offer one person any money 
to, because then I'd have to offer everybody. And it's not that I didn't want to do that, but I just didn't have the financial means to do that. And, but when I started to ask, everything fell into place so perfectly that I knew the timing was right. And I knew the people that I got were just perfect. And the photographers were like, absolutely. I want to be part of this project. I want to be part of change. And when people submitted their stories, they said the same thing. If I could have had something like this when I was diagnosed, it would have made a world of difference. And Mm -hmm. it's done everything I had hoped and way more. What's the impact for you as someone who went from having no connection to other people who were going through this experience for 30 years, which is (laughs) wild to go from that to connection to 500 stories. Oh, it was incredible. And the fact that I know what a book can do and what stories can do in photos, but meeting these people in person was even better. It was the best thing, the best kind of therapy, the best tonic for things that you, you know, you felt growing up, but you couldn't express in a way that people understood. And you could just say anything you wanted. And I remember sitting in a support group, the first support women's support group at that conference. And a woman's telling me about what's that game where you throw the red ball at people and you knock them out. Oh, dodgeball. Dodgeball. Oh my gosh. What a traumatic experience. Like she started talking about Mm -hmm. it and my I started internalizing what she was talking about and I just grabbed her leg and I said, I totally understand you because the goal was to hit your wig off, right? I mean, that's what they were doing. They looked at you and they're like, oh yeah, it's on. And then, so I got really good at, you know, being pretty quick, but at the same time, you just go, wow, this is not cool. And when she was explaining that, it brought me back because you don't always tap into those moments all the time. Cause who wants to go there all the time? But when she was talking about it, you know, and she and I are sitting there sobbing in the corner of this large circle. Yeah. And I thought, Oh, wow. Someone gets it and I get it. So it was just such a safe place. Wow. So I find dodgeball to be a traumatic sport, like <laughs> just for the average person, for me, at least mm-hmm. <laughs> for me as an average little girl, I think there's something very disarming about it. I can't stand the game and like to be smacked with a ball. And it's just like, I don't like it in theory concept in playing it. And I think it's awful. (laughs) And I just have like a, not a great relationship with a lot of PE games anyways, Right. as a kid who never felt athletic and oh, anyway, so like my skin crawls when anyone says dodgeball for (laughs) any reason. And I'm imagine like the layers of just, that being like my instinct around that game, mm-hmm. being an able-bodied person with nothing that makes me different than anyone else. And then to take it to this level of someone trying to get you out to other you in front of other people yeah. is just really like heightens the stakes in the game and how horrendously uncomfortable, if not traumatic, that would be in that setting. And then to have to face that on a regular basis, if this is something that's happening regularly at school is just so awful. Right. It was. But the fact that I had experienced it and then was able to connect with her, it yeah. just, it made such a difference. I it, bet. Was, it was really kind of a cool connection that I never, I just had never expected to ever feel that way when someone else told me about something they had experienced that I could understand. Yeah. I'm curious being an event with 
all of these people who you have this thing in common with that you've not been able to share with anyone before that had to be such a, like you said, it was a life-changing event, but it had to be like so incredibly therapeutic and in ways that you didn't know that you even needed. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember sitting at the end of it, there's, they have a fantastic photographer that takes photos all weekend. And most of them are of the kids. And those ones hit you, especially if you are an adult who had developed alopecia as a child, you realize all of these amazing resources that are now available to them and that connections that they can make and that they, that the difference it can make in a child's world. And so as the slideshow's going by at the closing ceremony, we're all of us are sitting in our seats sobbing, right? Because we go, look at these kids, look at the opportunity that they have, look at this bond and they're just playing. They're just being kids, right? I mean, they don't, they're not like talking about hair loss the whole time. They're, you know, doing arts and crafts or they're doing some type of show. And yeah, it's not, you know, we don't have to be talking about hair loss to, but being around people who look like us is just makes such a difference. Oh, I bet. So when I met you, you did not have a wig on. And so can you tell me, and in pictures I've seen of you online since then, I have not seen you in any wigs. So can you talk about when did you take the wig off or the wigs off? When did you make that transition? So I would say the first year I went to conference, I took my wig and I wanted to blend in, but the most hysterical thing happened while I was there. I was wearing this wig and I kept looking at everybody else to figure out if they were wearing a wig or not. So <laughs> people all yeah. wondering, like, is that a wig? <laughs> the whole time you're like, wow, that's a really good wig. And realize <laughs> it's like the mother of somebody whose child has alopecia. So mm-hmm. you go, oh, oh I'm sorry. Gosh. I really thought you were wearing just a really good wig. <laughs> so oh yeah, but, but I almost, I didn't, I think I hear this a lot from people is that you don't want to associate with people with alopecia, when you haven't quite figured it out for yourself, you, you don't go, well, I'm really part of this crowd because you think everybody goes to conference and they are free. They're like bald all the time. And they, you know, maybe they're wearing wigs, but you're thinking everybody who's not wearing a wig is just so sure of themselves and confident. Mm-hmm. And that's really not the reality because Sunday comes and you're in the lobby and you don't recognize anybody because they're all wearing their hair again. And so interesting. Yeah, it is kind of an interesting thing, but, but once you experience it, so I guess that first year I was wearing a wig and then the following year I was still gathering stories and I really felt like I needed to make myself credible or show myself as a credible person and someone who they could trust with their stories. And that became kind of something I continued to do as, as I went to the conference and the next year I said, well, I'm not going to wear a wig this year. And I'm going to take it with me. I'm going to just wear a scarf. And I had a lot of matching scarves. I always color coordinated my stuff. And I was a volleyball player. I played volleyball and I always wore a bandana when I played. Mm-hmm. I never went without, I don't think anybody saw me other than my own family without anything on my head for another, maybe four years after that, after I actually maybe a little bit longer. So I wore a bandana kind of as a transition, but I, I remember making the transition when my daughter was in grade school and thinking, I need to do this right now. And I knew people were going to think things and do things. So I actually signed up to be like a parent leader in the class, like the co-president so that people Mm. couldn't avoid talking to me and that they would have to talk to me about 
other things. And it felt like the right move at the time. I didn't really want to draw a lot of attention to myself, but I said, they have to come and talk to me about Mm -hmm. something and they can get comfortable with who I am looking like this versus wit in a wig or completely evolved. So yeah, it was kind of a, that's a bold move. It was a power play for sure. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Like I will love this power play. (laughs) (laughs) So this, when your daughter was in grade school, is that what you said? Yeah. And I'm thinking she was probably in, actually, I think she was in second grade. So that would have been the second year that I went to conference and came. So it was like the summer in between second and third grade um, or first and second grade. And I came in in second grade. And then I had kids in third grade teasing me on the playground. And I was like, oh no, this is not going to happen. And so I went into the third grade, third, fourth grade classroom and explained what was going on. And I said, and I was like, I, you know, please ask me questions. I'm fully open to answering them. And I really didn't want this to come down on my child and have it be something that she had to worry about, you know, because she was, that was the exact same age that I was diagnosed with alopecia was when she, when I was in second grade. So Mm. I I knew that that age was ripe for this kind of teasing on the playground, I guess. So do either of your children have alopecia? And is there like, okay, but it is, it is potentially genetic. There is a genetic component, like I said. So unfortunately my daughter just got diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which, Mm. you know, if anybody has ever dealt with that, they'd rather, I'd rather have my child be bald than deal with Mm. this. Um, Mm. It's really been difficult the last few months. And we always knew that there was maybe something right. And she's extremely healthy you know, she's young, she's healthy, she's a vegan. And so she has the framework for just a really healthy lifestyle. So I think mm-hmm. she's going to do okay, you yeah. know? And so, yeah. So there's always that though. You're always checking their hair. You're always kind of like glancing yeah. at it sideways going, Oh, you know, is this going to be in my son? He had extremely blonde curly hair growing up. And I just found a note, excuse me. I just found a note that talked about me cutting his hair when the first time I cut it and it was how sad it made me, it made Mm -hmm. me feel like, Oh, these curls are gone. And this is what he's known for. And I know that that's the grief kind of the other parents feel when they child's hair is falling out like that. They're going, Oh, wow, this is part of their identity. And maybe we've made it part of their identity or that's what everybody comments on. And so it was kind of a big thing when I cut all his curls off, because then he just had a buzz cut Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, he's a different looking child, right? Yeah. yeah. Where can folks experiencing hair loss turn for support? It sounds a little bit like in terms of social support around it, it sounds like you didn't turn for support for a really long time. And so obviously like medical support, you can talk to doctors and you might have recommendations specific to that, but what are your recommendations for people experiencing hair loss and kind of your recommendations in contrast, maybe, or, or in comparison to how you did it yourself and how it took you longer to yeah. get into a community. Yeah. Well, first off, I wasn't aware of any support. That's the thing mm. there, you know, the internet really right. wasn't <laughs> prevalent, right? Google. You can just be like, oh, <laughs> but I actually found out that the conference I went to had been around since the year I was diagnosed and oh, wow. they had like 20 people, you know, or mm-hmm. something like that the first year. Then it's grown since then, of course. Okay. And they're the major nonprofits. So it, when you're looking for support, if you went and put alopecia areata in or hair loss, probably the National Alopecia Areata Foundation would come up and they're the main nonprofit in our country. But, you know, if you're in Canada, there's 
CANAF, which is a Canadian alopecia areata foundation, and there's Alopecia UK, and there's the Australian Alopecia Foundation. So there's, luckily, there are foundations that get started, and usually they're by people who just care, right? They're people who go, oh, we need the support. It's not available and let's see what we can do. But I will say a lot of my time and energy is spent with the Children's Alopecia Project because that is where my heart is. That is where I'm with the kids. I really want them to be like functional adults. And I don't want that I don't want alopecia to hold them back and I don't want them to take 30 years to meet someone else who looks like them. And that is one of the most important things. So they are a fantastic resource. There's camps. There's, I think there's 11 camps this year throughout the country, one a month and from now until December. And I always say, you know what, do whatever you can to get to a camp and financially the child is free and you have to have a parent or caregiver of some sort with you. And that costs money, but it's, I mean, the best, you know, $250 you'll spend for your child in their entire life. Yeah. Yeah. So of course I do want to say I'm a resource. (laughs) Yes, of course. Of course. Yes. (laughs) This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. 
So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. I'm going to ask you where everyone can find you and get all links yeah. and everything from you at the end here, but where, talk a little bit more about how you're a resource because I want people to understand yeah. that as well. Yeah. So, you know, it started off with the book and I, it wasn't like I said, oh, I want people to be you know, contacting me and asking me about my own story, but it became something that I realized everyone in the book is now friends with somebody who bought the book. You know, if you look mm-hmm. at my friends and then anyone who's in the book, they're, they double up, right? Because they're these people. The reason I made the book was because my story wasn't going to resonate with somebody else. And so I needed these other stories. I have about 200 stories in there. And I knew that they would hit people at different levels. I have children and then I might have their parents' perspective. And then I have twins. I have one with alopecia, one without, or both with. And so I've got men, women, children from all over the world. And that's the perspective that I wanted to provide because that, what better resource, right. Than to kind of get, you know, here and there. And so that started that. And then a few years ago, and this is my third year of the Alopecia Life podcast. And I thought, you know, some people are great. They want that book. They want to be able to pull it out of the side drawer or have it on the coffee table because it is a coffee table book. So it's a larger size book, but I was hearing from people that they, it saved their life. I mean, it was mm. kind of crazy to hear that. I thought, oh my gosh, I know that crazy is not a word we should be using. Bananas. Yeah. Mine is like wild and bananas. <laughs> wild. <laughs> it was wild because they would say, I would reach into the bedside table and read your book. I would turn the light on at night and read it. And I heard the same thing from parents going, this book prepared me for what was coming up for my child. And he didn't want to look at it. And then like two years later, he did a big report on it for a senior project, you know? And so I think, okay, you know, it did so much more than I had anticipated and the podcast, you know, yeah, reading's awesome. Right. But people learn in different ways. They can hear it. If they can hear it, then the information gets to them. So I interview people. I do have an interview style podcast like this. And I talk to people about their experience with alopecia and, you know, we don't talk about alopecia the whole time. We usually share about their story and then we move on to something amazing that they're doing. So, yeah. Uh And it allows people to get more resources that way because resources was something that they weren't available when I was young. And that's why it took so young to so long to find any of these groups. And yeah, so books, And that's kind of the motivation behind the book, right? Nothing was available from the time I got diagnosed at seven till the time when my hair fell back out many, many years later as an adult, I thought, what in the world are we doing? There's no resources. And if I could change that, then that's what I was going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to ask, cause you just referenced the timeline and I realized I didn't ask about it really specifically. So your hair fell out at seven. When did it grow Mm -hmm. back? 14. And then you just had normal, typical (sighs) No, it was more like it would fall out in small patches. So I, it would go to areata. So I I would say I had alopecia areata to totalis and then my eyelashes fell out, but I 
cut my eyebrows and then my hair grew back at 14 and my eyelashes and eyebrows were fine. And then when I was about, so, but I had then patchy loss for many, many years. And when I was about 28, which, you know, if we're doing the math and we're doing more, you know, sevens. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Right. But I still don't know. It's just something that I have in my brain (laughs) that about 28, when I had my daughter was when I went completely bald. And actually I went almost completely bald. And then when she was six months old, I had almost complete regrowth. And then by the time she was a year, I was almost completely bald again. So, so uh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I should have asked that earlier in the conversation. Cause that's adds some really, some depth to the layers of the story as well uh, mm-hmm. to your story. As that happened, were, were you able to accept that like, oh, this is just going to come and go, or we're just going to see, or is it like re-traumatization every time? I say that the loss is even, it's more different as a more different. It's different as an adult <laughs> because you feel like, okay, there's all these tools that you have now, right. For dealing with trauma and grief and all these things, because you're an adult and you're hoping that that would, you know, follow you into mm-hmm. this experience, but it really didn't. I felt very vain, superficial, mm-hmm. wondering why it was such a big deal. And it was hard. I would say that's what also motivated me to do the book because I knew that it doesn't just get easier each time. You don't just go, Oh, it's going to fall out. Oh, it's back now. Oh, it's, you know, and I think the lot, the cycle of loss when people are on that roller coaster is really serious. It's very traumatizing to people and people are celebrating the growth. And then they're like, Oh, your hair fell out or, Oh, look at how much Mm. growth you have. And so for me, I will tell you, I will prefer to live completely bald, then have that growth and loss cycle happen. Cause it's so difficult. Thank you for sharing that. I think that absolutely makes sense how hard that cycling can be. And I appreciate you sharing, kind of explaining that yeah. path through your story. Yeah. That's important. Mm-hmm. What should we say or not say when meeting someone with alopecia? And I think this part's so important. And I bet you have so many stories of people saying the wrong thing. <laughs> and I think sometimes, I mean, not, I think I know, I know really well-intentioned people can say really stupid things. Right. <laughs> so right. can you help us with this piece? Yeah. And I think everybody's really different, right? I mean, some people would prefer that someone say something to them versus staring and wondering and gaping. And not everybody's like that though. You know, a lot of people are like, this is none of your business, you know, mind your own business, you know, go about your life. Yeah, And I just want to get some groceries is what I always say. You know, it's like, sometimes you just want to go get groceries. You don't want to have to talk about why you don't have hair, you know, to some yeah. random stranger. So I think that the sensitivity, uh, knowing that alopecia exists is really important, right? We're educating a lot of people with this podcast. We're educating as often as possible. And like right now, Jada Pinkett Smith is really in the limelight right now with her alopecia story, which mm-hmm. is fantastic for all of us in the alopecia community, yeah. but she also doesn't want to be bothered by people. But the fact that it's being talked about, more people will be educated. And that's always the goal. So when you see someone who's balding or bald, especially kids, don't ask them why they cut their hair that way. That's a Mm. really common thing. Oh, I can't believe your mom lets you out of the house looking like this. That's another one. To parents, I hear all sorts of things. And the common thing is, you know, at least he's a boy that's really Mm. dismissive. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's no easier for boys. And like Mm -hmm. you said, when you're 
this guy in your mastermind lost his eyebrows, he looked different, right? I mean, you don't, oh, he looked not- like so dramatically different. Yeah. I did not recognize him. And I had to go back to old Facebook picture. And I was like, there's something different, but it says it's, I mean, it was like very, it took a minute for me to figure out like what was happening. And then I remembered because I'd known him for so long, totally bald, but with eyebrows mm-hmm. that I didn't even think about him. I never thought about him in terms of his alopecia. I was just like, oh, that's, you know, my friend that we've been out of touch for so long. And so I, after I went back to pictures, I was like, oh, that's right. He wasn't like a guy who shaved his head to be bald. He was a guy who had lost his hair because he had alopecia. And then, so, I mean, I put the pieces together, but yeah, he absolutely looks like a completely different person without eyebrows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you say that to someone, I mean, or, oh, it's just hair. That's mm-hmm. another one. That's like a big one for people. It, yeah, we know. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. know it's just hair yeah. and it, it's so much more than that. Right. And especially when you're talking, you know, women really get a lot of attention with alopecia, right? Because they think, oh, you know, you're not beautiful. You're not mm-hmm. sexy. You're not, it's not this, but men feel the same exact way. They are told that hair means this, or, I mean, there's so many. Oh, my nine-year-old is so particular about his hair. You wouldn't know it from looking at pictures, by the way, but (laughs) it's very particular. I mean, like this would be a very devastating thing for him. So yeah, that's fascinating to me that people would say like, well, at least he's a boy or, you know, that would be less of an identity connection to identity. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So absolutely. If people were to know that it was alopecia and it would be okay to say it too. You know, I think that everybody needs to gauge an an interaction and yeah, just, you know, not, not be rude, not be inserting yourself where, where it's not really appropriate and things like that. But if you were to say to someone, Oh, you know, do you have alopecia? If you think it's an appropriate time, then that would be, it's so refreshing to hear that instead of cancer, because mm. we get asked that all the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. So many great like life lessons in here and ways that we can be supportive of people who are experiencing hair loss and ways that we can just appreciative of members of our community who look different and are having a different life experience. This has been so helpful. And I'm just so grateful that you said yes to this conversation, Deanne. I want to know how you're currently showing up as a shameless mom. Yeah. So I would say right now I am trying to figure out how to be a mother and a business owner, but also my child is going to launch this year, right? I mean, he's going to likely leave home. He's, I mean, we're kind of hoping that, but (laughs) at the same time, you know, are we prepared for it? We don't know, but there's a, a space where my daughter, like we were talking about, she developed Crohn's disease and I was in there. I was like, we will figure this out and we'll make this the easiest transition that you can have. And I was probably a little bit more than I should have been, but that's who I am. But it's also because it's almost like I was, I've been equipped with these tools, right. From growing up and how to prepare yourself for things like this and where to look for help. Because when there is not help available, which is really clear in the Crohn's community, if anyone is listening, I I hear you and I see you. It is so frustrating to deal with GIs and just the automatic going to a biologic, right? They aren't open to talking about diet or anything else really. And so there's that piece. And so when I show up 
for my kids like that, they sometimes see me as overbearing and (laughs) controlling, but I mean, my daughter also got married this year. She also is going to start her second business or second restaurant. I mean, it's, so I have to be kind of careful because she's doing everything different in the way that I would be doing too. And I have to give her that space to explore and, you know, uh, live life that way. Mm -hmm. The same thing is going to be true for our son too. So yeah, I love it. I'm having a nine-year-old. I always joke, like my son's not allowed to turn 18 (laughs) every year. I'm like, no, I'm just keeping him at this age forever. He's not allowed to get, I mean, like he's definitely not allowed to turn 10 because that's double digits. It's just not going to (laughs) happen. Oh my goodness, Deanne, this has been a really great conversation. And I just so appreciate your transparency because I know this conversation as a result of your transparency will really have deep impact on other people's lives, whether it is members of our community who are experiencing hair loss and alopecia, or if it is our members of our community being able to be supportive of others who are impacted by hair loss. So thank you for being here. Where can people find you, connect with you and get all your goodies? Yeah, they can come on over to alopecialife.com and you can access my website that way, or sorry, that's the website, but you can access the podcast that way. You can look at what's going on with the course. You can also have free resources. I've got resources up about resource videos for school introductions, for talking about alopecia, what for younger kids and older kids and book you know, selections, things like that. And of course I'm on Facebook under alopecia life and on Instagram for at alopecia lifecoach.com. Awesome. And then we will link everything up in the show notes. So people can go to shamelessmom.com, look for the episode with Deanne Graham and click through any of the links there. We will also link to the book on Amazon as well. So people can get the book head on stories with alopecia And oh my goodness, Deanne, thank you. Thank you. This has been incredible. I'm so grateful for your time today and so grateful for the work that you're putting out into the world. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so thankful to be here and that you're opening up more eyes to alopecia. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. My pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be Shameless Mom of the Week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. No one told us the truth about parenthood. 
Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.